You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer actual, legitimate licensed therapy. No. Just kidding. No, that's incorrect, Kristen. (laughs) No, we are not real therapists. We are not real doctors, but we are real movie and TV critics. And what we do in each episode is offer a bit of advice and a film and or TV recommendation for whatever ails you. Oh, we just about lost our non-existent licenses there, Kristen. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Shall we get to this week's letters? Yes, let's do it. Our first letter is from Happy at Home, who writes... Dear Rafer and Kristen, I've absolutely loved working from home during the pandemic. I've loved not commuting. I've loved not worrying that my boss is looking over my shoulder. I've loved the absence of busy work and mindless small talk. And more than anything, I've loved working only five hours a day while being paid for eight. Yes, that's right. When I'm not being micromanaged or dragged into back-to-back meetings that should have been emails, I can get all my work done in just over half the time. Here's the issue. Now that pandemic restrictions are being lifted in my area, my company wants everyone to come back to the office. I don't want to go back to the office. But I also don't know how to explain to my higher-ups why. I obviously can't say, you guys make me sit in the office all day when I can get the work done in just a few hours. Is there a more convincing argument I can make in my effort to continue working from home? Or a movie I can watch that will help me feel confident in making my case? Well, this is interesting because I can see both sides of this. Now, me, I I would be desperate to go back to an office. Now, I I, I work from home most of the time anyway, um, but I did often rent a workspace and I worked from this workspace and I loved it. It's not that far from here. It's like a good, you know, healthy walk. And I loved going to that workspace. It's not that I even knew all those people. I just loved being someplace where people were. And it was a separation mm. of, of home and work, like church and state. It, was, it, it helped me really compartmentalize. Yes. And again, in my case, because my house is full of children and my wife and my wonderful mother, uh, who's helping take care of the wonderful children, going to the workspace would be wonderful because then I could you know, get, get a break and concentrate. Although I know what this, what this listener is saying, you can get a great deal of work done 
in less than in eight hours. When you when you know what I mean, like you really hold on. Are your you, bosses listening to the show right now, Rayford? Well, I, I hope they're I not. Hope not. <laughs> but listen, that's but you know my my work schedule is very erratic. You know there are, there are days when I'm I'm working kind of a lot. There are days when I'm not that working that much. Um, I don't think my bosses would be that horrified to uh, okay. to hear that. But you know you can you can get you can when you can get a lot done um, working from home, not having to commute. All that stuff is true. So I can see both sides. I can see both sides of this. What about you, Kristen? Well, I'm like you, Rafer. I kind of like having a separation. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people who maybe would have gotten on this letter writer's nerves where I'm like, hey, what you drinking there? Like, I would actually be like in the <laughs> coffee station like, hey, did you see they got some new creamer? Like, I'm that person. So I think happy at home probably is trying to avoid people like me. Um, Could be. But I used to also like, you, you know, you were saying there's like a separation, including a walk. I love that walk. I yeah. love that built-in walk every day where it's like, here I am, I'm moving my body, I'm getting away. Maybe it's only 20 minutes, but it, it's just a little something that makes me feel better. Yeah. And then also my home can just be my home where I can, you know, do all the happy things in my house if I want to. Totally. I know not everybody's like me, but I, I like going to an office. But here's the thing. As far as getting more work done in less time at home, um, I know some people have said the same thing to me. Some of my friends have confessed this to me. You cannot tell this to your boss. Please don't <laughs> say this to your boss. No, 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 no. Happy at home. When you are making your plan uh, of what you're going to say with this negotiation, you have to make clear why working from home is good for the company. What is it that you do when you're working from home that makes you a better team member, that makes you more creative, that makes you more productive? Tell your bosses that. Go in with a full case. I'm not really sure how soon you have to go back to the office, but right now is crunch time to show how great you are as a work-from-home person. Do all the things you can right now to prove That's a good point. how great you are when you work from home. And then also, I hate to say this, I don't mean to be negative here, but also have a backup plan. If your office decides, no, that's not the kind of workspace we are, we're a whiteboarding culture, we're an interfacing culture, we're a spontaneous ideas are percolating when we see each other culture, and we can't have people working from home, have a backup plan. Loads of companies now, more than ever, are saying it's okay to work from home. Work for one of those companies if you can as your backup plan. But uh, don't make that your first choice. Make your first choice making a good negotiating plan where you're showing them Look at how great it is for you if I stay home. That's my advice. I think that's exactly right. I would I would second that. I think you I think you can say what you want. And like Krishna saying, I don't know if I would recommend, you know, the five hour versus eight hour <laughs> argument. But I think Kristen's got an excellent an excellent point in saying that you're more productive that way. So Kristen, what do you have as a recommendation for happy at home? All right. Well, happy at home. I am going to recommend something to you that on the surface does not look like it's related to your issue at all because it is a Western called True Grit from 2010. There's not a single office space in this movie, I don't think. Not a, not <laughs> think a traditional right. office space as we know it, at least. Not as we know it. That's right. So True Grit was a book first, then it was a movie starring John Wayne. And in 2010, it was a movie, once again, this time from the Coen brothers, and that is the version that I am talking about today. Okay. In True Grit, a 14-year-old girl named Maddie Ross, played by the great Haley Steinfeld, shows what horse trading is all about, literally. 
in order to raise money to hire a deputy U.S. marshal to help her track down her father's killer, she approaches an auctioneer named Stonehill with two demands, that he buys back the ponies he sold her father and that he pays her $300 for a horse stolen from his stable. At first, Stonehill laughs in dismissal, but Maddie's perseverance and detailed knowledge of the relevant law wears him down until he yields to her demands, plus more. Here's a clip. I will pay $200 to your father's estate when I have in my hand a letter from your lawyer absolving me of all liability from the beginning of the world to date. I will take $200 for Judy, plus $100 for the ponies, and $25 for the gray horse that Tom Cheney left. He was easily worth $40. Right, that is $325 total. The ponies have no part in it. I will not buy them. And the price for Judy is $325. I would not pay $325 for winged Pegasus. As for the gray horse, it does not belong to you. The gray horse was lent to Tom Cheney by my father. Cheney only had the use of him. I will pay $225 and keep the gray horse. I don't want the ponies. I cannot accept that. There will be no settlement after I leave this office. It will go to law. All right, this is my last offer. For that, I get the release previously discussed, and I keep your father's saddle. The gray horse is not yours to sell. The saddle is not for sale. I will keep it. Okay, I loved this book, which I didn't, I hadn't read until after I'd seen the original and before I'd seen the Coen Brothers version. But I love the book. It's like a, it's like a minor masterpiece, that thing, by Charles Portis. I love the original film. And I also like the remake quite a bit. Why are you recommending the remake more? Do you like the Coen Brothers version more than the original? Well, I think Haley Steinfeld is so good in this movie. She is just yep. phenomenal. And this scene in particular is done so well. And we learn very early on in the movie that the reason Maddie can get what she wants in life is because she does her homework. So hmm. what I want Happy at home to do is a lot of homework. Homework about the company's KPIs, that's key performance indicators. I want you to do research on what the company values most in its employees, uh, whether it's creativity, whether it's output, whatever it is. We don't know what your job is. But think about all the things that are most valuable to your company, your department, and your boss, and present all of the ways that you are going to make their lives better by staying at home. So be like be like Maddie. Be prepared. Do your homework. And don't make it about you. I think that's a, a very, very interesting way of getting to, uh, getting to the point. I love it. True grit. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Rafer, what are you going to prescribe happy at home? Well, mine is just a tad bit, just a tad more obvious. I've chosen a movie from 1999. I chose Office Space. Ah, a classic. (laughs) I I mean, it it can't be any more on the nose, can it? But, um, well, this is obviously the the Mike Judge classic. Uh, It's kind of a modern update of the old Herman Melville story, Bartleby the Scrivener, Mm -hmm. the one about the clerk who shows up to work one day and just says, I prefer not to, just (laughs) just decides not to work anymore. It's kind of like that. I I do love this movie. If you haven't seen it, its hero is a guy named Peter, played by Ron Livingston, uh, and he works at a generic sort of creative stifling company called Inatech. Uh, It's not really clear what they do. They just seem to kind of exist and run and function and uh, make all the employees' lives boring. Uh, And Peter's life is just a blur of 
shuffling paper and filling out something called a TPS form and <laughs> staying late, whatever his boss needs him to. The the premise here is that he goes to a uh, to hypnosis and through a sequence of events that I won't spoil, he emerges completely relaxed. Uh, and in fact, he's so relaxed, he decides to, like Bartleby the Scrivener, just stop working. And when people ask him to do something, he just kind of says, nah, I just don't think I'm going to do that. At first, everyone's kind of appalled and they think, oh my God, this is it. It's the end. He's going to get fired. You can't do that at work. But instead, everyone thinks that he's some kind of secret genius and they believe that he must have the answers to how to really make this company work better. And they start promoting him and promoting him and promoting him. And eventually his career starts to take off. Here's a clip. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I, I have the memo. I've got it. Oh, Rafer, I said this was a classic when you first mentioned the name. And, I mean, not only is Office Space a classic, I'm just going to say to all of you straight men who like to quote this on dates, you don't have to do that anymore. We all know all the lines in this movie. But <laughs> <So> true. <laughs> That's beside the point. Rafer, let's talk about why you are prescribing office space to Happy at Home. Ah, uh, well, um, it really is highly quotable film. Uh, all, all the characters. <laughs> don't do it. I won't don't do it. Do I won't it, do it. For, I won't do you're it. a straight guy. Don't I, do it. I don't. I actually don't quote. Uh, I don't quote. Well, except for the flair. I don't quote. Uh, <laughs> I don't quote Office Space very often. But all the characters are great. Uh, you know, Lumberg, the boss that we were just hearing from in that clip. Uh, uh, Milton, the guy in the basement. Jennifer Aniston, uh, the the waitress. Everyone's really great. I guess I'm just recommending it for kind of this reason. You know, what if you were just honest about what you want? <gasps> Obviously, you can't go full on Peter here. You can't just do a, a full on, I'm not going to work anymore, no thanks kind of move. But you could just, like Peter, be kind of honest about what sort of sucks here and what you want and what would make mm. this job better for you and what you're asking for. And maybe you can kind of cut through some of the corporate BS and carve out a niche for yourself. And like Kristen's saying, I do think that workplaces are changing quite a bit. You know, I, there's a many people, well, not many people, but a, a handful of people at my work um, who don't come into the office. Uh, they work out of their homes. I'm one of them. Things are changing this way. People have, I think, discovered that there are all kinds of things you can do virtually, things you can do from your home. And, you know, I don't think it's insane to walk in there prepared, as Kristen has said, but to walk in there prepared and ask for what you want and be kind of honest about why you want it uh, and what it will do for you and what it will do for the company. And listen, again, I'm, I'm sort of repeating Kristen, if they say no and you can't live with it, well, there's your answer. Uh, so that's why I recommend Office Space. And I, I just think it's a it's a hilarious, funny, wonderful film. There's no office as in the series without Office Space, which came first. It's a great movie. Yes. And if nothing else, Happy at Home, it'll make you laugh your head off while you think about going back to the office. Office <laughs> Space is very, very funny. 
Okay, so just to recap, our recommendations are from me, Office Space, and from Kristen, surprisingly, the 2010 version of True Grit. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, thank you to everyone who continues to review us and give us those five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Porty Owner recently gave us five stars and wrote, I love this show. It's light and funny. The film recommendations are fun and diverse. I like the simple advice, too. Perfect for our current times. Well, thanks very much, Porty Owner. I went and did a little... What is a porty? I did a little research. I Googled it because I kind of thought, I have a feeling that's a dog. Is it? And so I, I went and I Googled it, and indeed it's a dog, I think, called a Portuguese. <gasps> it might be called a Portuguese something or other. Oh, but like a Portuguese a, water dog, maybe. It might be. Something like that. But it seemed like there was a whole world of, of porties and porty people mm. out there. So maybe that's what we have here. Oh, yay. Well, give your dog a pet for us. And everyone else, stay with us when we're back. We'll tackle a letter from someone who's revisiting an old hobby and hopefully this time around not letting themselves get anxious about it. Game Pass. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or she, call the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. We're back with our second letter of the week, Rafer. Take it away. Okay. Avril writes, that's A-V-R-I-L, like Levine. Avril. Yes. Yeah. Writes, uh, dear Rafer and Kristen, I took piano lessons for a couple of years when I was 13 to 15, but stopped because it just created a whole lot of anxiety and fear. I still don't really know why. In the past year, I decided to start again, but on my own at the age of 22 with books and YouTube videos. So far, I'm enjoying it a lot, but it does get hard, and I would like some motivation and inspiration. I have no interest at all in becoming a professional pianist, doing concerts, or even going back to taking lessons. So I don't think I would be able to relate to, say, a documentary about a great piano prodigy's life. This is just something I do for fun, but I really want to stay motivated to keep making time for it and stick to it, because it brings me a lot of joy when I do it. Anything you think might help is appreciated. 
doesn't even have to be necessarily piano-related. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Avril. I I was wondering, are you Avril Lavigne? Because um, Avril Lavigne does play the piano, doesn't she? I thought she played guitar. Well, actually, what I thought, I'm going to be a little snotty here. I actually didn't think she played much of anything. I always thought she was actually sort of a pop singer masquerading as a rock singer, which was part of her genius. (laughs) But I I think she convinced you that she was a rock and roll singer when, in fact, she was a pop star. Well, maybe she didn't play any instruments. Okay. Listen, I've seen her live a few times, and she would sort of, somebody would hand her a guitar and she'd kind of hold it and kind of <laughs> strum it. And then that would be the end of that. It was all very cleverly done, I have to say. Wow. So that's our advice, Avril, who wrote into us. Just be like Avril Levine. Have fun with it. Don't worry if anyone notices you're playing. <laughs> I'm sure I'm vastly underestimating Avril Levine's talent. But anyway, yes, there you go. Well, do you have a hobby like this, Kristen? I mean, I will say this. Um, I'm not a very fast reader. Like, My husband, Dean, reads at least two novels a week, and it usually takes me two weeks to get through a novel. So you might say I'm not very good at reading, but I still read all the time. I'm never going to... Two weeks is pretty good. Um, Oh, thank you. (laughs) I would say. What else am I not very good at? Um, I like writing, but I'm not like any of the super genius writers who graduated from my MFA program with me. You know, those writers... They ended up, you know, becoming award winners and like invited to be on the lecture circuit with like poet laureates and so on like that. So I'm nowhere near as good as any of those people at writing. And I respect them all a great deal. And I'm honored that I got to be, you know, classmates with all of them. But I still write, but I don't know if any of my writing is considered nearly as genius, you know, uh, putting together a podcast script with letters that other people already wrote to us. (laughs) That's not what anybody would call like, ooh, what great writing. (laughs) I don't know. I think there is a genius to that, I'm going to say, in your defense. Uh, Thank you, Rafer. But what about you? you, Are there things that you do that maybe aren't considered like the best of the best or prodigy work, but you enjoy doing it anyway? I'll tell you the one thing I've done that kind of came close to a hobby was these two uh, comic books that I made for my kids. Oh, um, yes. Those were really fun. And um, you know, they started out as me and I think it was my younger son kind of doodling collaboratively. And then I started kind of drawing some little panels and he got kind of into it and enjoyed it. And then I decided to make a book for him. And so I made the book and I enjoyed it so much that I made a, a second book and I... There was a time when I was briefly considering, like, man, could I turn these into something? Like, could I turn these into, like, a children's, like, could these sell? And then I kind of started thinking about it, and I asked some friends. I have some friends who are, uh, I have a friend who is a children's book author. And so, I, you know, I talk, and I have a friend who is an author author, and we, we, I talked to some people, and finally I just decided, like, well, the fun of it is, the fun of it is the doing it, the doing of it and the drawing, and I cannot draw. I mean, that's the, it's not it's not as though I don't mean like, oh, you know, I don't this is not really professional quality. It's like, you know, no, I can draw, I can. This guy has a circle shaped face and this guy has a square shaped face and this guy has a triangle shaped face. Now I'm out of shapes. I can't have any more characters because they're going to look they're looking to look like the other characters. So now I'm now I'm really stuck. So but it was so much fun and it it, it killed me. I spent so much time doing them. But I love doing it. I love the drawing, even though I can't do perspective or eyes or hands or anything. (laughs) And it was super fun. And one thing I do wish is that I had the time to go back and and do a third one because they were really fun. And so I I do, in that sense, know that feeling of doing something for the joy of it. Mm. Well, there's still time, Rafer. You can always make a third comic book and maybe a fourth and a fifth and a sixth if you want to. I guess I could. I guess (laughs) I could. It would kill me. 
I spent so much time doing it. I'm telling you. <laughs> it took almost a year to make the second one. I'm telling you. It took so long. Anyway, it was fun. And, and, and yes, that was something I did. That was not a, that was not a, there was no professional aim behind it. Well, then, Rafer, I'm curious, what are you going to prescribe to Avril here that uh, can help her get that same feeling that you got from the comic books? Like, this is a fun thing to do. I don't necessarily need to do it professionally or in record time. I'm doing it because it's joyful. Uh, how can we get Avril there with movie prescriptions? I'm going to suggest a movie that will kind of reinforce what Avril is saying. I don't, I'm not sure it's going to teach any kind of great lesson, but I think it might sort of re just reinforce her feelings. It's a, a movie from quite a while back, uh, uh, from 2008. It's called Seraphine. Uh, French film, uh, S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N-E. -E. Kirsten, do you know this film? Um, I am vaguely familiar with it. it. It actually is in French. It's subtitled, right, Rayford? That's right. Um, yes. And it's about an art collector, I think. Or Am I misremembering? I think, oh gosh, or is it a curator? It's, what, what there is, is it? a curator in it. There's an art collector in it. But the, the main character, uh, Seraphine Louis, I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, she was a French painter, a real person. Um, oh. from the early, kind of early part of the 20th century. She lived in rural France. Um, she was not a professional painter. She was a house cleaner. But when she was not cleaning houses, she spent nearly every minute of her spare time painting. And her work would mostly be of things in nature, like uh, trees and uh, fruits and flowers, things like that. Super, super color colorful, really interesting use of color and a very intense color and a lot of... Um, Hard to describe, but she would had this very distinctive way of patterning the things on the canvas. So if you had like the flowers of a bush or like a group of apples or something, they would be multiplied across the canvas so that they almost looked like they were inf infinite or something. Mm. And she used pigments that she would find from anywhere, like plants and dirt. She would scavenge these things. I think burnt matches and definitely animal blood is in the movie. And that's how she would make these uh, very intense reds and all these different pigments. So the, there's an art collector, as you said, uh, basically, who's got a country home, a uh, guy named Wilhelm Ude, a German-born art collector. And again, a real person. He kind of helped popularize Picasso and Brock, uh, people like that. Sees a little painting by Seraphine on a friend's wall and inquires about it, discovers it's this kind of, you know, just this house cleaner who seems like kind of an antisocial oddball type that paints these amazing paintings. And he decides he's going to turn her into a real artist with gallery showings and sell her art for as much as he can to the important collectors in Europe and the whole bit. And we can't really play a clip here because it's in French, but that's the basic story. And of course, it doesn't, it doesn't go the way that he expects. Mm, because... She's good at doing the thing that Avril wants to be good at, right? Because she's doing it for the joy of it. I'm just guessing. That's, I, I... Well, that's no. You're exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. She she doesn't she doesn't want to be a professional artist. Um, she doesn't paint for recognition. Uh, she just paints to paint. You know, part of the process is that. I mean, she's one of these people who I think is kind of driven in a in a, a quasi a quasi insane way uh, to sort of do compulsively this thing, but she loves to go out into nature, sort of soak it in and be out in the meadow and the field or the forest or wherever, and then come back and put those feelings onto the canvas. And, you know, professional artists they're gonna they're gonna try to be relevant and topical and make a statement and sort of compete with their fellow artists and do something that the other guy hasn't done. And she's not thinking about any of that stuff. She just, she just wants to 
make paint paintings. Uh, and so I guess this is just a way to kind of confirm what Avril, our listener, is saying. You know, you got to just do it for the joy of it. One thing I remember that was interesting about this movie is, because I did a little research afterwards because I was sort of interested in her, and I'm always interested in outsider artists and stuff. Um, the one thing about those pigments, the way she made her pigments, mm -hmm. it, they're, they're, those are all great details in the film, but in reality, no one really knows. She oh. refused to ever tell anyone what she made those pigments out of. And I and I liked that better because I just felt like that's her. She's keeping that to herself. It's hers. She doesn't want to share that with anybody else. That's that's a thinking she's that's a whatever that method is, it's hers and it's hers alone. And I really like that. Uh, and it's a, and it's a nice movie and it's it's very well done. Oh, what a beautiful prescription reefer. It really sounds like it's exactly what Avril needs right now. Really good. Yeah, I think I think it really could be. And, and Kristen, what do you have? All right. I am going to prescribe a very, very recent movie, Soul, from Disney. S-O-U-L. Oh, sure. And uh, this is an award-winning computer animated film. It tells the story of Joe Gardner. He's a middle-aged pianist and middle school music teacher living in New York City. He dreams of playing jazz professionally. Meanwhile, his mother's you know, kind of nudging him to make teaching his full-time job because she worries about his financial security. One day, Joe learns of an opening in the band of jazz legend Dorothea Williams, and he auditions at a music club. She's impressed with him and hires him for that night's show. Joe, of course, is so excited, but unfortunately, that excitement distracts him. He falls down a manhole, and moments later, he finds his soul traveling to the great beyond. Feeling his life was snatched from him just as he was about to start living it, Joe fights to get back to Earth. Here's a clip. Two, three, I see you, Caleb. Howdy, go for it. Hang on, hang on. What are y'all laughing at? So Connie got a little lost in it. That's a good thing. Look, I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club, and that's the last place I wanted to be. But then I see this guy, and he's playing his chords with force on it. And then with a minor, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then he has the inner voices, and it's like he's, it's like he's singing. And I swear the next thing I know, it, 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 it's like he floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it, and he took the rest of us with him. That's when I knew I was born to play. Kristen, I'm just going to admit to you, I was not a big fan of this film. What? I know. Rafer. I know. I know. Are you are you not a big fan because you don't like people to see you cry publicly? Is that why? <laughs> because it's okay to cry, Rafer. Listen. Crying gets the sad out. We all cry sometimes <laughs> at the movies. And perhaps we cry for 90 minutes straight because we're watching Soul. It's okay, Rafer. Don't be embarrassed. Kristen, thank you so much um, for that validation. <laughs> I Listen, I, I have cried in many a Pixar movie. They're scientifically designed for tears. They oh, they really are. They really are. Uh, <laughs> this one just didn't quite do it for me. 
I just, ah, the story just didn't quite add up. I thought it was a little all over the map. There's some funny things about it. Some of the animation I thought looked really cool and it had the little, um, oh, yeah. the kind of abstract line drawing uh, people that show up in the, whatever that is, the afterlife slash before life, the great beyond, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever that, whatever that ethereal zone is that he goes to. There's some cool looking stuff in that. The music is really good. And anyway, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm not here to, um, to rag on your choice of soul. I just, I do want to put a little word and say it was not my favorite Pixar, but tell me more why you want to recommend this one. All right. Well, I'm prescribing it because this movie is all about someone who believes that being on stage is what life is about. But spoiler alert to our letter writer, what he realizes over the course of the film is that both life and music are about so much more. They're about the doing they're about the process. They're about joy. They're about helping others to find their joy. And of course, listening to our hearts. So that's why I think this movie is worth watching because he's kind of on the opposite path of Avril who wrote into us. He, he really is so fixated on the being on stage part. He forgets why music is beautiful to him. He forgets what's beautiful about life. But Avril, hopefully what he learns will just confirm what you already know. You just need to do this for the joy. That's all you need. You don't need anything more. I think that's right. I get that. I think I think it's the right message. Uh, yeah, and I think I think Avril is is on the right track. It sounds to me like I think that's a, a healthy a healthy way to approach this whole thing. You know, it is, and I can tell you just don't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> Kristen, I did not hate it. I want to say I did not hate it. I'm not a complete grouch. I'm just saying you just I didn't like it. About it. It's clear you didn't like this movie. all right one more time our recommendations are from Kristen soul perfectly fine film (laughs) and from me seraphine (laughs) perfectly fine that was on the movie poster all right we're gonna take another quick break but before we do do you need some movie therapy of your own visit our website rayforandkristen.com and fill out the contact form there you do not have to use your real name and if you haven't already join the conversation on our facebook community that is facebook.com slash groups slash rafer and kristen when we're back we'll tackle this week's what should i watch next letter Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. 
And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alice Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canales, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Barron, Steve Arkett, Michael Jenkins, and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. Hey, everybody. We are back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter. Rafer, go for it. Okay, this one comes from Scam Happy. Not, not, <laughs> surely not a real name. Scam Happy writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, one of my great comforts during the pandemic has been watching dramas and documentaries about scam artists. I love watching how they dupe those around them, and I love watching them get caught. So far, I've watched both the Fire Festival movies, the Elizabeth Holmes documentaries, and all the documentaries on Netflix about cult leaders. The next one I'm dying to see is the multi-part drama about Anna Sorokin, but it doesn't come out on Netflix until 2022. In the meantime, what? Should I watch next? Oh, I dig the heck out of this question. <laughs> Me too. Scam happy? I never thought of myself as scam happy, but apparently I'm scam happy too. Because I also love these stories. I am so excited for the Anna Sorokin series. I loved reading the big New York Magazine expose on her. I remember when the Fire Festival movies came out, I watched them both back to back. Ugh. I only watched one of them. There was a Netflix one and there was a different one. And I think I watched the Netflix one, which I remember thinking was really good, but I didn't watch the other one. The other one was on Hulu. And I'm just going to say, I think the Netflix one was better personally. Uh, everyone says the Hulu one is better. What? Well, well, the Hulu one has more uh, journalistic integrity, ah. but the Netflix one is more entertaining. It's, it's juicier. The, okay. The Netflix one hides a lot of the truth about everybody who is a talking head there, how involved they were in the fire festival. Yes, I think I heard that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it it lacks journalistic integrity, but has better momentum and is way more fun. So <laughs> okay. So there you go. Okay. Good. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I love scams. Uh, Refer. Are you into scams? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I'm I'm as scam happy as this listener, um, but sure, I do love uh, I do love uh, movies about cons and things like that. I've, I always loved The Sting when I was a kid. Uh, mm. Later on, as a as an adult, I was really taken with um, House of Games, the David Mamet movie. Uh, I loved that ah. about poker players and con artists. Uh, yeah, I I did see. I can't remember which Elizabeth Holmes documentary I saw, but it was a pretty good one. <laughs> was it Gibney? Did Alex Gibney do one of those? Probably. Nah, I, I can't, can't keep remember. track. There was I, like one on HBO, I think, but wasn't there one on Hulu? Yeah, I, I know. Well, and Alex Gibney does, I think, about like seven to eight documentaries a month. It's just, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I, I don't know what, I don't know how he's doing that. But yes, anyway. Okay, so Kristen, do you want to start with a recommendation for Scam Happy? Yes, yes. I am going to prescribe Scam Happy, a documentary from about five years ago called Sour Grapes, and it's currently streaming free on Tubi. Rafer, do you know Sour Grapes? The title rings a bell to me, but I definitely have not seen it. Okay, so I think you're going to love this. Okay. Sour Grapes tells the story of Rudy Kurniawan. He's a 30-something Indonesian wine collector who 
bursts out of nowhere when an auction company uh, breaks records selling $35 million worth of his wines. And Rudy soon becomes a wine world darling as restaurant owners and Hollywood producers and even billionaire Bill Koch purchase his collections of burgundies. And and I just have to know, this world is full of extremely, extremely rich people who have nothing better to do than drop $75,000 on a case of wine. This is a very elite world. Everything tastes like it has hints of vanilla and a cardamom that you may not capture if you don't swish it just right in your mouth. They speak in very pretentious language. They're wildly rich. And do they even really know what they're talking about? Anywho, people love Rudy. Not only is he a wine genius, but he's incredibly kind and friendly. He introduces his family members to all these collectors. He's always sharing his wine with them when they go out to eat. But before you know it, there are some people poking around wondering, is Rudy really all he's cracked up to be? Does his backstory really add up? Here's a clip. The auction scene really started in the 90s. The economy was booming back then. Started being aware of this kind of skinny, geeky young guy that liked wine. We had this mysterious background. He was like the Gen X Great Gatsby. No one had ever spent that much money that fast. It was ruining the quiet little club that the old guys had. Can you please state your name for the record? Rudy Cornelwin. Stock market is down. Everything with this fellow just kept coming up fake. Fake wine. In the catalog, it was already wrong and fake. Well, this sounds terrific. And I think the reason this sounds terrific is because it's got a little, it's got uh, a little finish of schadenfreude. Yes! Right? I mean, it's, right? I mean, who doesn't want to see a bunch of people who are spending way too much money on wine get completely burned? Right? <laughs> oh, it sounds good. It sounds, it sounds delicious, in fact. It is delicious. And I don't want to tell you what happens in the end of the movie, but I will say one reason I love it is for the reason you're mentioning, Rafer, I like it when a scam artist punches up and doesn't punch down. Yes, I don't want exactly. The, I don't want the scam artist who's going to take grandma's insurance plan or who's going to marry the widow and steal her house. I don't want any of those kinds of scams. I want scams where people are dropping money on wine that is more money than I make in a year. Right. To them, to them, it's like dropping a penny on the sidewalk. Yeah, screw over those people and I will clap the whole time. It's going to be so fun. And whenever they're talking with, you know, pretentious accolades about what a wine tastes like, and maybe, just maybe that wine is Franzia, it's hard not to laugh. I it's love it. It's so delicious. It's so, so delicious. So, Again, that movie is Sour Grapes. But, Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to our letter writer, Scam Happy? Okay. I'm going to sneak in a half recommendation. Oh, I love it when you do that. Before I give my actual recommendation. I know that's sort of, it's sort of cheating. No, no, that's well, great. Well, it's, it's, really, it's really not even a half recommendation. It's more of like a quarter of a recommendation. There's a, there's a series on Netflix called The Serpent. And I've been really excited about this series because it's about a con artist slash serial killer uh, named Charles Sobrage. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Quick backstory. Do you remember the book, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly? Of course. About the guy with locked-in syndrome. Oh, God. Right? I, I'm so mad at that movie because 
I'd say at least once a day for my entire life since I've seen it. I think about it and then I get upset. Yes, it's it's real. It's a heartbreaking movie. I read the memoir. It will stay with you forever, and you'll be so upset. Totally, forever. totally. Uh, the the memoir you might remember. You might remember he 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 wrote this memoir with his eyes essentially, based sort of typing one word at a time with with a, a device that tracked his eyes. Incredible, incredible feat. I read that book. Uh, when it came out. And in the in the book, he has a chapter about going on vacation with his girlfriend. And his girlfriend is getting mad at him because he's got his nose in a book and never looks up and pays attention to her. And the book is called The Trail of the Serpent. And it's about this guy named Charles Sobrage. And he describes it. And I was like, I, I've never heard of that person. I don't know what that is. It's, But I mean, it sounds, he's making it sound so fascinating that I'm going to just for the heck of it, see if there's an English language translation. And I tracked it down. I found this old yellow dog-eared like trade paperback, like one of those like cheap signet edition type <laughs> falling apart, found it and was just riveted by it. He's a, he was a, Charles Sobrage was a, a, a con man who preyed on hippies on the backpack trail in Southeast Asia in the seventies. So it's a perfect Perfect backdrop, horrible, gruesome, fascinating story. Netflix has come out with this series about it called the uh, called the Serpent. I was hoping it would be great. It's not, mm. and it's not, at least not good enough for me to recommend to someone. But if if like to like to like to an average person, but if Scam Happy is indeed that kind of person who just wants to see anything about a scam artist, <laughs> maybe if you got Netflix, it's free. You could check it out and see. If you can, maybe you'll like it more than I am. Okay. Now I will quickly run through my actual recommendation, which is The Imposter, a documentary from 2012. And Kristen, I don't know if you've seen this movie. I have not seen this movie. No, Rafer. I've not seen oh. The Imposter. Oh, this is, this is, boy, this is really something. So The the Imposter, here's the backstory. It's back in the 90s, 1994, kid from San Antonio. I think he's about 13. Nicholas Barclay goes missing. And it's the kind of missing that sort of doesn't happen. There's just no trace of him. It was like he was walking on the sidewalk, turned a corner and vanished. There's no, no witnesses, just nothing. Every family's worst nightmare. Three years later, the family, you know, heartbroken, grieving, still shattered. The family gets a call from the authorities in Spain. The police in Spain have found a kid and it's Nicholas. And it turns out that Nicholas has been kidnapped by a human trafficking ring. He'd been shipped all over Europe and Mexico, sold for sex. Oh. Nicholas comes back home. Everyone is so happy. His mother is overjoyed. Even though there are some things that seem weird. For, for instance, Nicholas speaks with a full-blown French accent, which is a little odd. Uh, he looks a little too old to be 16. He looks more like 20, mm. maybe 22. His hair has changed. Uh, it's no longer like a light blonde brown. It's like a dark brown. His eyes have changed color. They used to be light. Now they're brown. And it turns out, of course, that Nicholas is not Nicholas. He's a con man named Frederick Bourdain. And this is what he does almost for a living, is he pretends to be a, a, a newly discovered missing child and then goes and lives with the family. Here's a clip. The judge insisted on separate interviews and part of the evidence that was in those interviews was a family photo album. And the judge said, listen, the only way for you to prove that it's you're really Nicholas 
We got pictures here that you've never seen before. I'm gonna show you five of them. Number one, okay. Number two, okay. Number three, okay. And number four, okay. On the five one, I made a mistake. This sounds really simultaneously fascinating and completely like the opposite of my scam movie because this person is not punching up. No. They're punching down at people who are already in pain. Oh, no, it's true. Rafer. Oof. It, I, and here's the thing. That's really only about half the story. <gasps> and I don't want to say anything more because the movie takes a turn in the middle that is just simply too... It's too wild to really spoil. I, I'll just say I saw this movie not expecting that much, except that I, I'd heard it was good. I think it had got some buzz out of Sundance at the time. I knew a little bit about the premise, but, you know, I went just thinking like, oh, well, you know, that sounds interesting. I'll check it out. I don't think I took any notes during this movie at all because I just sat there with my pen hovering over the paper with my jaw hanging open, blinking slowly through the entire film. I was just, I was just, you, I just could, every single scene I kept thinking, no, no, that's not possible. No, no. And it's, it's all real. You think it's fiction and it's all real. And I was just bowled over by this thing. And the last thing I will say about this is, it ends with this random little bit of footage that the filmmakers got. I'm not sure if they took it themselves or if they just found it, but it ends with this random little bit of footage that has haunted me to this day. I don't know if it'll have the same effect on everyone, if it's just one of those weird things that kind of affects different people, but I got a chill up my spine and I have never, ever forgotten it. Whoa. It's just the whole, and the whole movie is just, it's stupefying. It's a great movie. And I think for Scam Happy, I think I think our listener will will really get a kick out of this thing. Wow. Okay. So The Imposter. I'm very, very uh, intrigued, Rafer. Um, oh, it's good. Uh, the Imposter is Rafer's prescription, and my prescription is sour grapes. And I want to see sour grapes, Kristen. That sounds great to me. Oh, you'll have a good laugh. I think you'll have fun with that one, Rafer. <laughs> I, I think it's hard not to have fun with sour grapes. <laughs> totally. All right. All right. Okay. So, folks, Kristen, that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Indeed it is. Thank you once again to everybody who wrote in this week. We so appreciate getting all your letters. We know we can't get to all of them. We're sure that some of you out there are wondering, are they ever going to get to my letter? We'll do our best. We really do try to, you know, read every single letter that comes in, and we really appreciate every single one. And thank you also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we are a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and Ben Franklin's World. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.
For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now wherever you get podcasts.